Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Hey, take out your Bibles, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I don't hear many pages rustling because you all know it by heart, right? First Timothy, okay, it's on your telephone, all right, better. People are texting me in the middle of the service. Well, you're welcome. Uh, they said thank you, but that's, that's good enough. All right, well, Tuesday we have an election coming up. Who knew that? Has anybody seen an ad on television or anything? Yeah, well, that'll be, the best thing is I can probably see going down the road after a couple of days because there won't be all those yard signs everywhere causing uh, traffic uh, delays and jams because you can't see anything. So I was trying to decide who am I going to vote for in this election? Am I going to vote for a Republican or am I going to vote for a Democrat? And so I tried to think, what am I going to do? And then I started, well, maybe the place to go to help with that decision is the most accurate place of all, and that's the Internet, right? So I go to the Internet, and I'm trying to figure out who to vote for, and this is what I find out when I go to the Internet. I found out every Republican is a Nazi. Did you all know that? Every single Republican, I mean, just saying that's just what, and so I decided, okay, if that's the case, then I guess I've got to vote Democrat. But then I, I, I went to another website, and this is what I found. Every Democrat's a Nazi, too. Every Republican and every Democrat, they're both Nazis. I never knew that till I went on the Internet. It, it, it suddenly, it just made everything, you know. Now, finally, I have no idea who to vote for unless there's a libertarian or an independent or something. And I didn't even research them very much. But I found out every Republican and every Democrat are Nazis. And you know what a Nazi is, don't you? For four years, the Nazis killed 21 million people. Two-thirds of all Jews in Europe were exterminated. As well as that, there were murders of mentally disabled, homosexuals, especially people from Poland and Russia. Russia lost an entire generation of young men in mass murder of 21 million people. We have no idea what we're talking about when we say things like, you're a Nazi if you don't agree with me. But think about this for a second. How can you come together and think, well, we may have differences of opinion, but we both love our country, when the fallback position is, no, you're an evil person that wants to murder 21 million people. How are we ever going to come together? Well, I don't know what the answer is for our country, but I do know what the answers are for Christians when it comes to coming together, when it comes to looking at this world differently, when it comes to having peace about the election that's coming up on Tuesday. And that's what we're going to see over in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and chapter 2. And the first thing we see is this. We need to keep the main thing the main thing and not get sidetracked. 
Now, now isn't that deep theology? Y'all like that. You need to keep the main thing, the main thing, and not get sidetracked. Now, Timothy was a young pastor. He was pastoring in Ephesus, which was kind of a wild city uh, full with a lot of sin. Think of Las Vegas on steroids. That was Ephesus. And uh, he's trying to pastor there uh, uh, in all this. Uh, uh, no offense, Craig, when I said, you know, okay, okay, thank you. Craig's from Las Vegas, you know, as we go. All right, so, so you know, this is him trying to pastor in that kind of environment, and the church itself had a lot of problems and divisions. And so we pick up in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. He says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These things provoke controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. To keep the main thing the main thing. The last thing he said is this. There are people out there in your church that are doing nothing but promoting controversy instead of promoting God's work. So the first thing we need to understand as we come together as a church and we're going to keep the main thing the main thing is we need to understand who our primary allegiance is to. You may be a Republican and you may be a staunch Republican. You may be a yellow dog Democrat. And if you are too young to know that term, it means if you're a yellow dog, you'd vote for a yellow dog if it was a Democrat or something like that. You may be staunch as you can be, but it is not your primary allegiance. Your primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ. You may be an American, you may be a Korean, a Chinese, you may be from Brazil, uh, Ecuador, I don't know where you may be from. It is not your primary allegiance, your primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ. You may be a Kentucky football fan, you may be a Louisville football fan. Well, neither one of you would want to admit it this morning, but regardless, (laughs) it is not your primary allegiance. Your primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And look at what he says again. Instead of promoting controversy, we need to be advancing God's work. Are the ways that you are talking about politics, engaging in politics, both on the internet and conversations with people, are they promoting the work of God in this world? Keep reading in our scripture passage, verse 5, the very next sentence. The goal of this, the goal of what? The goal of advancing God's work, the goal is this command. It is love, which comes from a pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith. Love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So is that what you are trying to do? When you look at your life and the way that you are leading it, when you look at the way that you are engaged in politics in this world, is it getting you so upset you can't see straight? Or is your number one allegiance Jesus Christ and you're promoting love out of a good conscience? What are you really doing? What's it look like when you say, how am I? What's going on? And it all goes back to what is your primary allegiance? Are you really trying first and foremost to promote God's work? Or have you been sidetracked onto something else? We need to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, I'll give you two examples of what I'm talking about. And they'll be on each side of the political spectrum so nobody gets mad, okay? Uh, So the first was when uh, the president visited the synagogue where the shootings took place. It's what a president should do. You should go to the synagogue. You You should visit it. It's what presidents do in times of national tragedy. Across the street from the synagogue, there lived a minister in town who was holding a sign that said, Everyone welcome here. And when the president got out, they began to scream, You're not welcome here! You're not welcome here! 
I guess they hadn't read their own sign yet because it was on the other side, and, and they couldn't see it. But they're literally freaking out, screaming, you're not welcome here, holding a sign that says everyone is welcome here. So this is what I thought. Well, I wonder what the reaction has been for their church. So I found out who the, who the minister was. I, I Googled their church. I, I went to the website, and it said, this website is down uh, because we are receiving so much hate and anger, and we want you to know that minister is no longer at this church, and uh, please stop giving us these, uh, these angry texts and, and, and shutting down our website. And this is what I thought. Okay, that's promoting the good work of Christ and sincere love, right? And then there's a, a, a very strong evangelical church in this country whose, pers- whose uh, a minister recently went out there and said this. If you vote Democrat this election, then it's very obvious that you are voting for Satan. And I said, well, all right then. Okay, you know, let's come together in the middle of the road and try to work this thing out when the other side is Satan. And so I thought, well, I wonder what the, uh, the reaction is at their church. And I found out that there are protesters every Sunday morning that surround the church with signs that say, Church of Hate. And this is what the minister said about the protesters. They're obviously bullies who are destined for hell. And I thought, promoting the good work of Christ in sincere love. Did did you feel it when I told you those stories? Can't you feel the love tonight? You see, that's what we were supposed to be doing. We were supposed to be promoting the good work of Christ as our primary allegiance, but we've gone so far off the deep end that we can't even come back close to the middle any longer. And so then the answer is, okay, how do you get back to some semblance of normality? How do you talk yourself back off of the ledge? Uh, I've got a friend, a good friend that told me, every time I call my mom to check on him at night, my mom's always so upset. And I'll say, mom, you've been watching cable news again, haven't you? Turn it off and watch a game show, you know, uh, watch a soap opera, something, you know, to, to just get away from that for a few minutes. You get, you get so upset every time that you do that. How do we talk ourselves back off of the ledge? And that's the next thing that we see. To do that, we must remember and appreciate our salvation. We have to remember how we were saved in the first place. When we begin to think about our salvation, we begin to think about ourselves and other people in a different way. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, and let's see what he says about his salvation down in verse 15. Chapter 1, verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. So here's the first thing Paul says in this. Okay, how was I saved? I was saved by God's amazing grace. I was an unbelievable sinner, and Jesus died on the cross to forgive me. Now, if you don't know the story of Paul, Paul hated Christians in the church, persecuted Christians in the church, and put Christians to death. That's Paul's background. And yet God loved him, forgave him, and had a purpose for his life. And Paul says, when I look at myself, I know that Christ came to save sinners, and I'm the worst of all sinners. That's how he felt about himself. 
And so how do you think he felt about grace and salvation that had saved him? Unbelievably grateful. I can't believe you loved me. I can't believe you forgave me. I can't believe you've done this for me. And so it, it, it revolutionizes the way he, saves it, he sees himself. I'm not a perfect person. I'm not someone that deserves any of this. God loved me despite those things. And then look at verse 16. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, that in me the worst of sinners, he says it twice in two sentences, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example of those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, what he basically is saying is this. And now what I want to do in my life is let my life and God's grace given to me be an example of what God can do to other people. So instead of seeing people as good people and bad people, instead of seeing people as Republicans or Democrats, he sees everyone as people who need God's love, and he's got the anecdote to the problems of our world, Jesus Christ dying on the cross. That's a different way of viewing the world. We separate people into groups. We have the Nazis and we have the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the satanic people over here, and, and, and it's hard to come together when that's how we view each other. So when we view each other as as Nazis and satanic, then you stop seeing people as real people. You see them as evil things trying to hurt your country or hurt your world, and so you want to destroy them. And so it's okay to send a pipe bomb to those people because they're really bad, evil people. Or it's okay to shoot up a congressional baseball game because they're bad people on the other side. And you're not seeing everyone as a precious child of God that Jesus died for. And you're in that same category. You didn't deserve your salvation. Jesus died for you anyway. And so when we begin to understand how we were saved, we begin to look at the world in a little bit different way. When we appreciate what God did for us, then we begin to appreciate that God can do the same thing for other people, that God loves everyone. And if God loves me and he loves everyone else, then I need to love everyone else and care for everyone else and forgive everyone else. And suddenly the world looks a whole lot different. It's not that polarized world that we once thought it was. It's a world that Jesus loved and died for and that we're supposed to love and sacrifice for ourselves. But we only get to that point when we first appreciate what Jesus has done for us. Twice in two sentences, Paul says, I am the worst of all sinners. And what he's trying to say is, man, I know what God did for me and I want him to do it for you too. If he can save me, then believe me, he can save you too. If Paul, if Paul, a man who murdered Christians for a living, could be loved and forgiven by Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ can even love a Republican and a Democrat. As hard as that is for us to see or understand. But it begins with us appreciating what we have, where we are, and how we got it. Anybody here know who Chris Hemsworth is? All the ladies raised their hands real quick if you didn't know it. Chris Hemsworth is Thor from the action movies. Okay. Well, you know, he's made it pretty well in life. You know, he's gotten to be very successful. I'm sure he's made, you know, tens of millions of dollars or something like that along the way. So he was in Australia, his home country. He's, he's uh, going uh, uh, to the helicopter. He's got a private helicopter waiting to take him from Brisbane to Byron Bay. Byron Bay is where the beach is, okay? And uh, he was going to fly on a private helicopter there. He's in a van. They're flying down the road to, to get to the helicopter, and they pass a guy hitchhiking with a guitar over his back and a sign that says, Byron Bay. 
And Chris Hemsworth says, hey, man, he's going the same place we are. You know what? God's blessed me, and I'm taking a private helicopter. Why don't we stop and pick this guy up and take him to Byron Bay? And so they stop, and they pick the guy up. Got the picture right here of him picking the guy up on, on the roadside. As you see, the hitchhiker, uh, Chris Hemsworth, the one in the front for you all, if you didn't, if you didn't realize <laughs> Uh, and he's going to take the hitchhiker with him to Byron Bay. And uh, so they get on the helicopter. They take off. Got a picture of him on the helicopter there. They're having a, a good time on the helicopter. He was asked later, why did you do it? And he said, because we passed the guy and we were flying down the road. And I thought, I am blessed in life about to take a private helicopter. And that guy's hitchhiking. Let's go back and let him share a little bit in the blessing I've got. Now, why did I tell you that story? Because when you begin to appreciate your salvation and what Jesus Christ has done for you, you stop dividing people into groups and you start looking at other people and saying, I want you to share in the blessing that I've had because Jesus loves you just as much. So how do we get to that point, though? Okay, it sounds good. Uh, Okay, Chip, I'll try to be nice to to the deluded bozos in the other party. Uh, And I watch my Facebook media hype, and uh, uh, I won't tell everybody they're going to hell, even though I'll think it, you know, uh, when when I'm talking to them or something like that. Are you happy? And my answer would be no. I still wouldn't be happy because it's not about externals. It's about internals. There has to be a change inside of you and how you view other people before you can ever truly do what Christ wants you to do in this situation. So how do we make that breakthrough? What's a practical step we can take to make that breakthrough? When I tell you, you're not going to like it at all, okay? Here's the breakthrough. You should pray for everyone, especially your country's leaders, and especially those leaders you disagree with. You should pray for everyone, your country's leaders, and especially those leaders that you disagree with. Look down to chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, so the very first thing, how do you make this practical, Timothy? I urge you, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So he says, first of all, you need to look at the world as a whole and begin to pray for everyone. Pray for everyone to know God, to be saved, that God loves them. How many people are praying for your two for two? Keep praying for your two for two. I've got it on my phone, man. It was, it's, it's ringing all the time. We were in a, a staff meeting the other day at 2 o'clock. Uh, Josh's phone went off, and he said, okay, everybody, meeting stop for a second. We've got to pray for our two people. And, and we all started praying, praying right there. Pray for all people, he says. But then look at verse 2. Verse 2, he says, for kings and all of those in authority. So he says, pray for all people, but especially pray for kings and all of those in authority. We should be praying for our government leaders. Why do we do that? Why would we pray for somebody that we don't even agree with or like? And the reason is really very simple. You're praying for them because this is your country. If they do bad, your country does bad. If they do bad, your city does bad. You want to pray for them to have wisdom, to have insight, for God to lead them and to direct them. You want to pray for all of your leaders that are in this country. Rayburn Ford, who was Wendell Ford's brother, I got to know him fairly well when we lived in Owensboro and we became friends. And he told me uh, that he would always say to people, hey, pray for my brother. And uh, he said, one time he said that to a person, and the guy said, I'd never pray for your brother. I disagree with everything your brother does. 
And he says, well, then you need to pray for him every more, more if he's that bad. You know, you need to be praying for him all the time, every day. Just, just pray, for, pray for my brother all the time. And then you'd hear people say, well, I couldn't do that. There's no way I could ever pray for Donald Trump. There's no way I could ever pray for Barack Obama. No way I could ever pray for Hillary Clinton. That, that is beyond me. No way I could do that. Paul says, pray for the king. That word is, is, is more likely emperor when you look at it in the Greek. He says, pray for the emperor. Who was emperor when he wrote this? Do you know who was emperor? Nero. Nero was the greatest persecutor of Christians in the history of Christianity. Nero burned Rome down so he could build another city. And when the people freaked out, he blamed it on the Christians. And there was an unbelievable persecution of the church that took place under Nero. Christians were wrapped in animal furs and released to dogs to be chewed and ripped apart. Christians were taken in garden shows and lit as lights in his party. And they were thrown into the arena and lions ripped them to death. He was the emperor. And Paul says, pray for the emperor. If we can pray in that day for Nero, then you can surely pray for your government leaders today because they do not approach that form in any way, shape, or being. And so we need to back ourselves off the ledge and we begin to pray for people. I'll tell you something about prayer when you start praying for people. It's very hard to hate somebody you're praying for. It really is. If you're praying for someone, it's hard to hate them. So if right now you really hate somebody bad, you might want to start praying for them, and then it'll change you a little bit. Now we're going to do something that's going to irritate everybody in this room. We're going to take a list of our government leaders right now in this area, and we're going to stop and we're going to pray for them, each and every one. So let's do that right now. Let's just have a prayer for our government leaders. If you'll close your eyes, bow your heads. Dear Lord, we come to you at this time. And Father, we pray for our president, Donald Trump. We pray for our United States senators, Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul. We pray for our United States congressmen, John Yarmuth, Thomas Massey. We pray for our Kentucky governor, Matt Bevan, for the Indiana governor, Eric Holcomb. We pray for our Louisville Metro Mayor, Greg Fisher. Lord, we pray wisdom for these people. They are leading our city, our states, our country. Father, give them wisdom. Give them insight and the ability to know right and wrong and the best thing to help our country to succeed. Father, we pray for good judgment for them, that they would seek you and your will. Father, we pray for our country. Uh, We are so far from where we should be. And we pray that you could give us a spirit of unity and peace, that you would help the church and Christians, the love that we have for everyone, be what pulls us together. Father, we pray for the elections to come on Tuesday, not for an individual candidate, but just pray, Father, that through the elections that our country could be made a better place. We pray for every Christian to be an example of your kingdom, of your love, of your reason, and of your care as we go into this election. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you begin to pray for your government leaders, it's very hard to hate them. And that brings us to the last thing that we see. Praying for others should keep us from anger and disputing. Praying for others should keep us from anger and disputing. Now, this is what's interesting. In verse 2, Paul says, pray for the emperor. 
But look at what he says in verse 3. It's really interesting. This is good, praying for the, the leaders of your country. This is good. It pleases God our Savior. Why does praying for everyone, and especially for our government leaders, please God our Savior? Because he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. What? See, it had nothing to do with politics. It had to do with a larger agenda, the salvation of souls. And that's what he was saying. Pray for everyone because when you pray for everyone, you begin to see them in a different way. And when you begin to see them as a different way, then you start praying for their salvation. Then you start praying for their relationship with God. It changes everything and brings you back to the point, hey, there's a bigger thing going on here. My allegiance is to something greater. We're going to end down in verse 8. Skip down to chapter 2, verse 8. Therefore, I want people everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. See what prayer does? It's hard to hate and be involved in the vitriol when you're praying. Anger and disputing go away when you start praying. And that's what we need to do. We need to be praying for our country, for our leaders. And as we do that, the anger and the disputing, it comes down, everything changes. You know, we live in a very privileged country with a lot of freedoms. And I hope what you didn't hear me say is that you shouldn't be involved in the political process. You should be. You should be informed. You should be involved. And and you should take stands. And you should vote. But you should do it in a different way than the world does it. You should be open-minded. You should be engaging. You should listen to the other side. You shouldn't demonize other people. And you should want the whole to be brought together. You should just look different when you do it. If Christians did that, then what is going on in our country, the level would certainly come down. 94% of people in a recent Rasmussen poll so that they believe our country is the most divided it's ever been in their entire life. 94% of people. You can change that. You can change that through your attitude, your actions, and your prayers. You might have seen the story this week out of Akron, New York. A girl with autism was at the park with her mom playing, and there was a, 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 some, a photographer, and, and a lady showed up, and the lady was wearing a wedding dress, and they began to take pictures of the lady in the wedding dress, and the little girl named Layla Lester saw her, and she began to freak out and ran away from her mom through the park. Her mom had no idea what the little girl was doing. The little girl is screaming and yelling, Cinderella, Cinderella, Cinderella's in the park. And she ran up to the girl taking the pictures in the park. And she grabbed her and hugged her and started to cry. And she said, you're Cinderella. The lady was named Olivia Sparks. And Olivia looked at the little girl and said, yeah, honey, I'm Cinderella. And I am so excited to meet you. When people look at you, and they see the way that you portray your political beliefs, do they run to you excited or do they run away from you in in fear of what's going to come out of you? As Christians, 
We're supposed to have a different point of view and different actions to make people say, no, 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 that's what I want. We have a bigger allegiance, and that allegiance to Christ will make every area of our, our life better. Let's have a prayer. Father, we do live in a divided country. Help that division come together through your love. In this very room right now, there are people of very, very different political viewpoints that probably wouldn't get along for two minutes if they started trying to share those viewpoints with one another. But they're here together, sitting right next to one another because there's a bigger agenda and there's something more important. And that's you and what you have done in their lives. And I pray that through that, you may bring this church, this city, this state, and this country together through your love and unity in the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to this time of invitation, and the first thing I I hope that you do is that you just take an inventory of your life. And, And is every time you think about politics, do you just get irritated? Because if it is, you need to back off the ledge a little bit and you need to start seeing the world in a little bit different way. Maybe the country's not perfect, but you know what? You have a perfect God. Maybe things aren't going every way that you want it to go, but I tell you something, that's not going to happen until heaven, no matter how hard you try. And so what we need to be doing is trying to come together and just say a prayer, Lord, help me to remember my first allegiance is you, and that becomes your invitation today. During this time, you can, you can come pray at this altar about concerns and needs that you have. You can come say, I want to join this church and be a part of what this church is doing to make a difference in the world. And you can come and say, I want Jesus Christ in my life, accepting him as Lord and Savior. But this is your time and your opportunity as we stand together and we sing. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Let's sing that again. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be.
Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. Peace. That's what God wants for you. Peace isn't going to come from a politician, my friends. I don't care how many people that you love and respect get elected. Our world's only going to change one day when those heavens are ripped open and Jesus Christ comes again and every knee bows and every tongue confesses Jesus Christ is Lord. We're trying to look for something that you're not going to find here. It's always going to be an imperfect world. Do the best you can. Be involved. Vote. Do it with the right attitude. But realize as you go out, there's a bigger agenda. Agenda. Jesus is the center. And when you make him the center, gives everything else in your life the peace that you need. Speaking of that kind of peace, next Sunday from 4 to 6, our Grief Share ministry is going to be having Surviving the Holidays. Uh, It's one of the toughest times of the year for people that have lost loved ones. As you go into the Christmas season, uh, this is something that every year people say how meaningful it was to them. So if you've lost someone recently or struggling with the the loss of someone as we go into the holidays, uh, that's next Sunday from 4 to 6 here at church, surviving the holidays. Let's go a little over the prayer if we could. Father, as we go into the elections on Tuesday, help us to realize that you need to be the center of everything in our life. Help us to put aside a lot of the, the anger and the and the, and the hurt that we have when it comes to our, our world and our political systems and to realize that, that, Father, you're in control and that there's a bigger agenda and it's your work based on love and a good conscience. And help us to show that this week and in our lives that we may be an example of what your life is really all about. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.